How many are happy to be in God's house this morning? Can you say amen? amen. God is good. And all the time. All right. Good to see you all here this morning. We are finishing up our series this morning. Many of you know we've been in a four-part series. And the title of the series is Encompassing Love. Encompassing Love. We've been coming out of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following. Now, in Ephesians 3.14, Paul takes the Ephesian church into his prayer closet because he wants them to see and to understand the things that he prays about when he prays for the Ephesian church. And he says in verse 14 of chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom his whole family on heaven and on, heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he would strengthen you with might in your inner being by his Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, might have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, which surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he goes on to say, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly and above all that we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that is already at work in us, be glory in the church through Christ Jesus forever. Amen. In this very powerful passage of Scripture, Paul identifies four dimensions of the love of God. Four dimensions of that divine love that is poured out to us through Christ Jesus. The width of God's love, the wideness of God's love, the length of God's love, the height of God's love, and the depths of God's love. And it's interesting to me that Paul speaks of the depths of God's love as the end of the continuum. There's a progression here. We move from the wideness of God to the length of God to the height of God to the depth of God. And we want to be deep believers. We need more deep believers in the body of Christ. The scourge of contemporary Christianity is that it's so shallow. It's so shallow that that, that it, it, it's so shallow that it, it's so surfacy, it's so cliche, you know? And what we need are more deep believers in Jesus Christ that can actually see beneath the surface of things. Because on the surface of things, things, things can look like wisdom that are really foolishness. And on the surface of things, things can look like victory that are really defeat. And if we are shallow believers in Jesus Christ, we'll look at the things that God sees as defeat and see them as victory and look at the things that God sees as victory and see them as defeat because we're looking at them through the lens of the world. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we are not to be conformed to the pattern of this age. That is, we're not to see as the world sees. We're not to understand as the world understands. We're not to comprehend as the world comprehends, but we're to see as God sees and understand as God understands and comprehend as God understands. as God comprehends, but in order to do that, we've got to let him take us down into the depths. Say amen. Come on, I need you to talk back to me today. Don't be sitting there looking at me like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> Say amen. I need your energy because I'm physically tired today, okay? When the, when the preacher's tired, he gains energy when the people say amen. Now, I need you to stay awake through this whole message. Don't make me remind you again. <laughs> I ain't too proud to beg. Mm. Amen. So God wants to take us into the depths of his love, but in order to do that, first he's got to take us into the wideness of his love. Now, we said three weeks ago that the wideness of God's love is its its all-encompassing character. That is, the wideness of God's love is manifested in the fact that he loves all people in all places. He loves everybody. 
God never met someone and said, you know what? I don't like this person. He never met somebody and said, you know what? I don't love this person. God loves everybody. For God so loved the world. Not just a few members of it. Not just a certain group of it. He loved everybody. And that means he loves even the people that you can't stand. We talked about the wideness of God's love as its scandalous character. The scandalous thing about God is that he loves the people that hurt you without getting your permission first. He doesn't care what you think about it. He just loves them. We talked about God saving Paul, the Apostle Paul. How he had killed half the, the folks in the, in the early church. You know, half the folks in the early church had family members that he had killed. And Jesus never came to them and said, I need to call a meeting. I need to let you guys know I'm thinking about saving Paul. And I just wanted to find out how you guys feel about it before I go there. Because I know many of you are hurt by him. Can you guys work through that? No, he just saved them and said, now deal with it. There's folks that God just loves and he just commands us to deal with it. And that's what it means to go wider with God. And then we talked about the length of God's love. And we said the length of God's love is its historic dimension. That is, it stretches through all generations. We talked about how God, his love is not episodic. You know, we experience love in an episodic way. We, you know, I love you today, can't stand you tomorrow. You, you ever had somebody you had a love-hate relationship with? You know what that means is that how you felt about them at any given time was based upon the episode that you were in. I got a love-hate relationship with this person, meaning today I love them, tomorrow I can't stand them. God never had a love-hate relationship with anybody because his love is not episodic, it's eternal. It stretches backward into eternity and it stretches forward into eternity. And for, for many of us, our love is so short. But God's love is so long. And that's why... Paul said, love suffers long. That is, love is long-suffering. That's the old King James in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love suffers long. It's long-suffering. The NIV says love is patient. And we forget that patience is not a momentary event, but it is a lifestyle. Just, it's an oxymoron to say that you had patience for only five minutes. <laughs> That's like saying you were proud of your humility. I'm humble and proud of it. And I cannot wait to get some patience. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? I got it. God, give me patience now. Give it to me now. Can't wait another second. <laughs> you know? Patience is by very definition an extended, protracted phenomenon. It's something long. And if your, your fuse is so short that you can only love for five minutes at a time, you got to go longer with God. You see? And then we talked about the height of God's love, and we said that it's the experiential dimension of it. That is, the height of God's love is, is when he takes you up into the experience of his love. You know, we talked about how we've devalued experience in contemporary Christianity because we said love is not just a feeling. And it's right. Love is not just a feeling. I mean, if, if we changed relationships every time our feelings changed about somebody, we would just, that's why people go from husband to husband, wife to wife. But you know, you know, you just, why? Because I don't love you anymore. What do I mean? I don't love you anymore. It means I, I don't feel for you the way I used to feel for you. No, but I'm still committed. If love is a commitment, then that's what will never change. I don't care how I feel about you tomorrow. I'm never going to leave you because I'm committed to you. My love, like God's love, lasts a lifetime. 
However, that does not mean that feelings are not important. Because you don't want to find yourself 15 years into a loveless marriage. We say, look, I ain't felt nothing for that woman in 15 years, but I'm still here. I'm just going to stick it out. And that's how it is with, with believers walking in Christ. I've been a Christian for 25 years, haven't felt God's presence in 24 of them, but I'm still here and I still read my Bible and I still go to church and I still tithe. I'm faithful. And that's what God said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter two. He says, I know your works, your perseverance. I know your hard work. I know you've endured persecution. I know you've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and found them false. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people, but this one thing I have against you, you've lost your first love. And then he said, remember the height, the high place from which you've fallen. He said, remember. And then he said, repent. And then he said, redo. And so God wants to bring us back to the height of his love. It's that experiential awareness of, of, you know, when you just get blasted with the love of Christ, it takes you to such a high place that it causes you to soar up above everything that would ever come your way. Matter of fact, we were looking at Isaiah chapter 40 when he says towards the end there, I think it's verse 22, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Now the difference between a man and an eagle is that when a man walks through a storm, he's got to walk through it. But when an eagle comes into a storm, an eagle flies straight up through the clouds and gets above it. You see, there's some storms that you can walk through and that God expects you to walk through. But when God causes you to rise up with wings as eagles, all of a sudden he takes you up above the clouds. And listen, you get up above the clouds of any rainstorm and it's a sunny day every day. And so when God takes you into the height of his love, you can be walking through the worst tragedy, through the worst devastation, and all of a sudden, he takes you to the highest place of joy. And we said that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. And every worldly pleasure is an imitation of divine pleasure. What the enemy offers us in worldly pleasures is partial joy and temporary pleasure. But what God offers is full joy and eternal pleasure. And that's what it means to enter into the height of his love. Well, now we're talking about going into the depths of his love. What does it mean to go into the depths of his love? Well, if the wideness of his love is, we could say, its ethical dimension, the fact that he loves all people, it's about and entering into the wideness of God's love is the way you treat everybody you meet. It's the way you treat people. That's how you go wider with God. It has nothing to do with your prayer closet. It has to do with how you treat people you meet on the street. How you treat who you meet on the street. I'm a poet and I didn't know it. <laughs> and if we said that the length of God's love is its, is its, is its uh, historic character, then it's about entering into the length of God's love is about, number one, understanding the pains to which God went to set you up to get blasted by the love of Christ on a historic level. From generation to generation to generation. You've got to get that message. I think that second one on the, 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 the length of God's love is the most powerful of the series. It, we'll see how I do today. <laughs> and then the height of God's love is its experiential dimension. What is the wideness of God's love? The wideness of God's love has to do with knowledge. I call it the revelational dimension. Because there's a lot of people that experience, they got lots of experience. They can get they get blasted by the experiential love of God, but have they ain't got no revelation whatsoever. And here's the key when you've got experience but no revelation. Experience revelation is when God takes you down beneath the surface of a thing and shows you what's underneath it. Amen. The word revelation literally means 
It literally means unveiling. To open up that which is closed. It means to reveal that which is hidden. It, it's to take something out of hiding. It's to pull back the curtain. And when God gives you revelation, what he does is he shows you what's behind the scenes. To, listen, in order to enter into the depths with God, you've got to start by recognizing that things are not as they seem. Amen. If you trust what you see with your eyes, you'll never get any revelation with God. Why? Because you're so, you're so confident and satisfied on the surface that God doesn't have any reason to take you into the depths. You've got to stop believing what you see. In order to go into the depths with God, you must start with the presupposition, there's stuff that I'm not seeing here. There's something that I'm not seeing. I know there's something that God wants to show me that I'm not seeing there's something that I just can't see. There's, there's a place. Lord, would you take me beneath the surface of these, this thing and cause me to see what you see. Cause me to understand what you understand. And the thing we need to understand about revelation is that revelation works in this dispensation differently than in the dispensation to come. Amen. Let me break that down for you for a second. We, so many of us believers, we still subscribe to the bang theory, the big bang theory. You know, the Big Bang Theory. You talk to a lot, of, a lot of believers and they're waiting for the Big Bang. I know I'm broke now, but God's going to bless me. He promised me I'm going to be a millionaire. So what are you investing in? Oh, I'm not investing in nothing. God's just going to bang. I'm going to go from broke to millions. Is that, God showed me that I'm going to write a best-selling novel. And it's going to be read by millions of people around the world. You ain't got five Facebook friends to rub together. Nobody even wants to read your Facebook status and you're going to write a best-selling book. You got about five tweets in your Twitter account. And you're going to write a best-selling book. No, but it's going to be a bang. Just out of nowhere, bang. Bang. <laughs> right? out of, I'm not doing anything to build up to it, anything to sow into it. Now, don't get me wrong. God will take you beyond the trend, but there's got to be a trend. God will take you beyond the progression, but there's got to be a progression that is, if you ain't doing nothing, you, God's got nothing to bless. I want to say something about money here for a second. Because we're so, believers are so afraid of money. Money is evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. You think only rich people love money? Poor people love money more than rich people do. Because the poorer you are, the more you dream about having it. When you're sitting around fantasizing about getting some, you know the best way to break free of the love of money? Get some. So you can stop dreaming about it for crying out loud. But the way God works in this dispensation, he, in, the, in, the, in the age to come, it's going to start with the Big Bang. The Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. I mean, it's going to, I mean, it's, it's going to happen in a twinkling of an eye. Bam. Two men are walking in the field. Bam. One is gone. And all you heard was bam, the trumpet sounded. That's it. You know, the Lord descends with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ. Can you imagine graves coming up out of the ground? And watching as skeletons come out and all of a sudden flesh comes on those bones and people come back to life and, and they're in the clouds meeting the Lord in the air. Man, big bang. But in this dispensation, 
In this age, that's not how he works. You know what he does? He gives you a little mustard seed. There you go. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, we've completely misunderstood the mustard seed passages. Remember when Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thou lifted up and cast into the sea and it'll obey you. Mm -hmm. Completely missed the fact that it's a seed and a seed does nothing until it's planted in the ground, watered and cultivated. Starts as a seed, but you've got to plant it in the ground and you've got to water it and you've got to be faithful to it until it grows and becomes something. That is, it'll start as mustard seed faith, but it doesn't end as mustard seed faith. It grows. Listen, if you plant that mustard seed faith next to a mountain and water it every day, it'll grow into a tree that'll knock that mountain over. But we just want to bang. Well, I've got mustard seed faith, so bang. How come it didn't happen? What's going on? And what God is looking for are individuals who are willing to cultivate depth with God. When I'm talking about going deeper with God, I'm talking about something that must be cultivated. It's not, God will not all of a sudden zap you with spiritual depth. And, and when we talk about being deep, all we can think of is deep sayings. You know, you think if you, if you, if you memorize enough deep quotes... So that you can say deep stuff when you're around people to make them think you're deep. (laughs) Being able to say deep stuff doesn't make you deep. It just makes you able to quote people who are deep. You're not any deeper. You quoted somebody that you didn't. And even if you came up with it, all we, you know, there's such, especially, you know, Twitter and Facebook. There's this thing about pithiness. You know, everybody just wants to be pithy and profound. And people are putting foolishness out there because it sounds pithy and profound. But when you actually sit down to contemplate, what does this nonsense mean? It doesn't mean anything. There's some good stuff out there too. Don't get me wrong. What's the point I'm making to you? You can go deep in God if you're willing to walk through the process of coming into the depths. Because if you're going to go deep with God, you must understand that you will be opposed. Amen. I've been walking through a period of deep opposition from the enemy over the last three to four weeks. And I mean, stuff has been coming at me from every direction. I was sick in my body and stuff was, I can't even get into some of the attacks that were coming at me. And I called my pastor the other day and he said, how you doing, Benjamin? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm good. And he said, come on, man, don't tell me. That religious stuff, you know, give me the truth. Tell me how you're really doing. I said, Bishop, I'm struggling. I said, I'm struggling. He said, there you go. Now, what are you struggling about? I said, I don't even know where these demons are coming from. I'm rebuking them in Spanish, in Korean, in English. I don't know what nations they're coming from or what languages they speak, but I've never dealt with these demons before. And he laughed. He said, Benjamin, do you remember early in January when that prophet came from Australia and prophesied over you? I said, yeah. He said, what did he say? I said, he said, I'm an apostle of faith. And he said, oh, so as soon as you get the word of the Lord, all hell breaks loose in your life. He said, you didn't think that you were just going to waltz right on into that place, did you? (laughs) You didn't think the devil was just going to jump out of your way and go, right this way, sir. (laughs) There's the throne of God. What keeps most believers out of the deep things of God is that we're not willing to walk through the wilderness in order to get there. Let me tell you something. 
going deep with God is not a five-minute-a-day activity. Going deep with God doesn't come through going through this 12-part Bible study. Going deep with God doesn't come from listening to a certain series of sermons and reading a certain group of books. Going deep with God doesn't come from giving a certain amount of tithing and offering and, and serving a ministry in the church. Going deep with God is going to require that you walk through stuff that you've never walked through before, but it's going to require that when the stuff hits the fan that you simply keep walking and wiping it off of your face and when you walk through fire that you stomp it out and keep walking i'm talking about going through stuff you've got to learn how to take a licking and keep on ticking if you're going to go deep with god you're going to have to walk through some disillusionment and you're going to have to fight it off because if there's one thing that keeps believers out of the deep things of god it is not sin it is disillusionment. Disillusionment and discouragement. And the moment you start saying things like, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? How come you didn't answer my prayer? The moment you allow your heart to walk in a place of accusation against God, you are backpedaling out of the depths and back into the shallow waters. Why? Because... When you start saying God's abandoned you, you're speaking about what you see on the surface. And to go into the depths, you've got to see what's under the surface. Paul was able to walk through the worst kind of stuff that you and I could ever imagine. But he said, even though I'm hard-pressed on every side, I'm not crushed. We walk through something as about one-tenth of the intensity of what Paul walked through. And we say, I'm crushed! He said, I'm struck down, but I'm not abandoned. We go, oh, I'm destroyed. We walk through something that's not nearly what he went through, but yet we, the words that we use, just like these runners here in that skit, the words that they use, before the race even started, they already knew the outcome. Why? Because this one was saying, will I even start? And this one was saying, I'm not going to make it. Right, what was he said? What was the second one saying? Will I ever make it? And the third one saying, nope, I'm not going to make it. And only this one was saying, I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish. you got to make a decision before you start entering into the depths. I'm going to finish. I'm going all the way. I'm not going to stop when it gets hard. Now in Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel has this vision that illustrates going into the depths with God probably better than any other place in Scripture. And in Ezekiel's vision, he sees this little trickle of water coming up from under the, de- under the door of the temple. Starts at this little trickle, this little stream that's not even worth noticing. It's kind of like, you know, when you left your AC on for a while and that little trickle of water comes out of the tailpipe of your car. Just a little trickle of water. God looks at that little trickle and says, you see that mighty river? That mighty river is going to bring renewal to the earth. Amen. You're like, that's not a mighty river, that's a little trickle. That's what God does. He gives you a little seed and says, this can move mountains. He gives you a little trickle and says, this can renew the earth. You know what the thing, the thing about it is, if you're going to enter into the depths with God, you've got to begin to see beyond the way things appear. God will give you, see this thing, there's so many believers asking God for a word and you wonder why God doesn't give you one because you don't believe the last one he gave you. God, give me a word. I gave you five of them and you don't remember any of them. And you stop believing. Why do you want me to give you another one? Go back and pick up the last one he gave you and stand on it and believe it and cultivate it. See, this is the thing. So often when God gives you a word, 
It just sounds too simple to you. You thought God would be deeper than that. He'll come to you and say something like, I love you. And you're like, yeah, but give me something deep. Give me something deep. He spoke to me one time and said, don't be moved by what you see. No, I thought he was going to give it to me in Hebrew and Greek. You know, he was going to give me the Aramaic of something. You know, the Greek word for that is a gugu agaga. And underneath it, it, the historical background, it came from Constantinius ubiquitous. You know what I mean? Like it was going to be something deep, something that makes me sound profound. But how profound do you sound? God spoke to me and said, don't be moved by what you see. Those simple words, if you take it and you meditate on it, it's, it looks like a little tiny stream. You just haven't gone deep enough in that word to actually get to the revelational content of it. Because the reason it seems shallow to you is because you think you're already doing it. But when God says, don't be moved by what you see, that means you are now being moved by what you see. <laughs> if God says, I love you, it's because you're walking in rejection and you think he doesn't love you. But you're so shallow that you don't even see it. You think you're walking in it. Oh, yeah, I got this down. And God, and God, God says, I love you. Man, if God says, I love you, you stop and go, oh my goodness, what kind of rejection am I walking? What kind of spirit of orphanhood have I been walking in? Thank you for that word, God. That's exactly what I needed to hear. Now, Lord, begin to give me revelation. Take me deeper in it. Ezekiel said, I saw this stream coming out. He said, I, I went out a thousand cubits and it came up to my ankles. You know, there's a bunch of ankle deep believers in the body of Christ. You know what I mean? When the river is just about as deep as your ankles, it means that the only part of your body that the river has touched is your feet. And ankle-deep believers are believers that only know how to do one thing. They don't walk where they used to walk. I used to sell drugs, but now I go to church. Mm. I used to go to the strip clubs, but now I go to the house of God. Hallelujah. Uh We talk about where we used to go and what we used to do. But the only thing we got going for us now is I go to church. I used to go there, but now I go to church. I used to do this, but now I go to church. The only thing the river has affected is your feet. That is, it has taken your feet out of the place where you walked in wicked ways. And you know what? That's not a bad thing. That's a good start. If that's where you are, that's a great start. Congratulations. Because before God gives you something, he's got to take you out of something. Sometimes he's got to take something away from you before he can give you something else. But ankle deep believers haven't learned how to receive anything from God, except they've learned how to walk away from things that the world had to offer that were killing them. And so then Ezekiel said, I went out another thousand cubits and it came up to my knees. Knee deep believers. Knee deep. You know, there's a lot of dry need believers, dry needed believers in the body of Christ. Are you dry need? You know what happens when the river hits your knees is that you actually learn how to pray. Amen. I mean, for yourself, because every believer will tell you they know how to pray. But if you followed them for a day, you'd see that most of them actually don't spend any time doing it. It's like riding a bike, right? You know, I learned when I was a little kid, I don't actually ride a bike, but I know how to do it. I can get on a bike right now and ride. But your knees are dry. Because you don't actually spend any time with God on a daily basis. Yeah, you pray over your food. You know, you bow your head and say some religious prayer. 
Lord, bless this food. Make it a nourishment to my body. Now you got faith for miracles. <laughs> you know, you got a big pile of waffles with covered and smothered in butter and, 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 and fried chicken and syrup all over the top. And you pray, Lord, make it a nourishment to my body. You are the God of miracles. Make it a nourishment to my body. In Jesus' name. You ever stop and think that was the most religious, hypocritical prayer that anybody has ever prayed? God's looking down going, nope. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm a God of miracles, but, you know, that's foolishness. You pray over the food. You pray before you go to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Isn't that the most depressing prayer you've ever heard before in your life? If I die in my sleep, take me to heaven. That's the best you can come up with. If I should die before I wake. What kind of... Don't teach that prayer to your kids. <laughs> go to kid, Every night before you go to just pray just in case you die tonight. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Make sure you go to heaven if you die tonight. <laughs> Man, how are your kids going to sleep through the night thinking, I might die tonight? <laughs> you pray when the preacher says, let's all stand up and lift our hands and pray. Hallelujah. But what if there's no preacher around? And there's no food around? And there's no church around? One of the biggest problems with contemporary Christianity is that Contemporary Christians have allowed the church to be Christian for them. Because instead of praying, we go to prayer meetings. Instead of worshiping, we go to worship services. Instead of studying the Bible, we go to Bible studies. Let the worship leader do the work. I'll just follow. Let the teacher do the work. I'll just say amen. Let the prayer leader do the work. I'll just mm-hmm, I'll nod my head and I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ooh, that was mm, hallelujah. Hmm. But how about going home, going into a room by yourself, getting on your knees before God and spending time learning how to talk to him and hear from him. Knee deep believers are individuals who know the value of spending personal time with God. And they do it on a daily basis. Knee deep believers are individuals who you can take them and drop them in a foreign country where they're the only believer there and they'll still continue to grow in Christ. Because they're not dependent upon the church. And you will only add to the church when you stop being dependent upon it for your spiritual nourishment. People leave churches because they're not being fed. Listen, you, this is your refrigerator. I know this is an iPod, an iPad, but in it is the Bible. <laughs> I'm talking about the Bible. And then there's waist-deep believers. And this is the hardest place to be. You ever walk through waist-deep water? What's easier, walking through waist-deep water or ankle-deep water? Waist-deep's easier? When you're walking through waist-deep water, it seems like the stuff that used to work for you doesn't work anymore. The hardest place for you to be as a believer is waist-deep. Because when you're walking waist deep, to get anywhere takes so much effort. You think, man, I used to dance and rejoice. Christian life used to just be about 
dancing with Jesus. Hallelujah. And you look back and see those ankle deep people back there. And they're dancing and skipping and throwing rocks and having a blast. And you're thinking, There's, wow, they're so much further along than I am. I wish I could do that. And then you start praying prayers like, Lord, take me back to where I was. Restore the passion that I had for you. Because I'm not feeling any passion right now. Do you know why you're not feeling any passion right now? Because you're going deeper than you've ever gone. And you're closer than you've ever gone. That is at the point where you feel furthest away. You're closer than you've ever been before. Waist deep. Waist deep is halfway between your control and God's control. It's a turning point. Somebody's going to win because the thing that I'm learning is that me and God want absolutely the same thing. Complete control over my life. <laughs> when you're wasted, when you're when you're when you're only ankle deep, you don't have to think about that stuff. It's just wonderful to be in Jesus and to have Jesus in you. Celebrate Jesus, celebrate that's all it's about is celebrate. But when you get to waist deep levels, you're getting down to the nitty gritty. You're getting down to the place where God sits you down and says, stop the celebrating for a second. Because there's something very dear to you I need to take out of your life right now. Something I got to cut out because it's a cancer and it's killing you. Mm. When you get to the waist deep level, all of a sudden you begin to realize that your walk with Christ at a certain point demands everything you are. Mm. It was at that waist deep level where the disciples struggled on the, on the mountain in the Garden of Gethsemane. When they stood and they watched Jesus being crucified. You know what Peter did at that place? He turned back. He said, I'm going fishing. I don't know about y'all. When he found me, I was fishing and I haven't been fishing since. But you better believe I'm going fishing tonight. I'm going back to where I was. And you start backpedaling. Because, you know, there's a lot of folks that will sing and dance and shout and pray when they need something. Mm. Mm. My Everybody's a believer when they need somebody. Something. Amen. I don't believe in Jesus. Yeah, let your kid get sick. <laughs> and the doctors say there's no hope. You be sending out Facebook messages. Everybody pray. <laughs> I don't believe in Jesus. Yeah, just find yourself on a plane. And let the pilot say, we're going down. You will discover a need for him real quick. You will get saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. My dad was backslidden, walked away from Christ. His mother fell down and had a stroke at a dinner we were having. He, without thinking, he jumped down to his knees, laid hands on her, and started speaking in tongues. And the Lord healed her, too. 
They went and called paramedics. By the time the paramedics got there, she was, I mean, the left side of her body went numb. She started vomiting out of the right side of her mouth. She fell to the floor and the left side of her body was numb. That's a stroke. That's not even a, I mean, that was a real one. Everybody else went frantic and started calling 911. My dad just, backslidden. But you need Jesus now. (laughs) There comes a moment when you got to have him. And that's what they told me when they shared the gospel with me on the street. You need Jesus. And he can meet your needs. So that's why I came. And then I looked at the programs that the church had. And I saw they had some good stuff for my kids. And then I listened to the the music and I thought, this music is kicking. And then the preacher got up to preach and I thought he was funny. And so I thought, I want to join that church. But in order to join it, they told me I had to say this prayer to invite Jesus to come into my life. And so I thought, no biggie, I can handle that. So I said the prayer, I'm going to do this Christian thing. You know, they say Jesus can heal, that he can bless me. You know, even drug dealers ask the Lord to bless them. Asking the Lord for a blessing does not make you spiritual. Any more than asking Taco Bell for a taco makes you Mexican. (laughs) The mark of your spirituality is how you react when God tries to take something out of your life. When you come to the place where he says, now it's about to be all of me or all of you. Your choice. Jesus comes to the rich young ruler. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be thankful that Jesus doesn't command that the gospel be preached to each of us the way it was preached to the rich young ruler. Jesus, here's how you get eternal life. He did not say, repeat after me, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Receive me into your kingdom. He said, go sell all of your goods and give all of your money away to feed the poor. And then come follow me and you'll have riches in heaven. There's the gospel to the rich young ruler. You know what he was saying? It's all of me or all of you. Your choice right now. We, we, you know, we hear that and we think, man, that's messed up. How could Jesus have done that to that man? That was terrible. Doesn't that sound terrible to us? <laughs> It just sounds messed up. But we that's because we're seeing things at the surface and we don't see the grace. You know what Jesus was saying to that man? He's saying, I'm going to cut right to the chase with you. Instead of taking 20 years to grow you, I'm going to take you straight into the depths. All we see is what we have to give up. We're feeling sorry for that man because he had to give away his earthly riches. And we forget that Jesus said, you'll have riches in heaven. We have devalued heavenly riches in preference for earthly riches. If Jesus came to any of us today and said, I'll give you a choice, earthly riches or heavenly riches, the majority of us would choose earthly riches. When he says your faith is of greater worth than gold, if he comes to you today and says, I'll give you a choice, I'll give you gold, or I'll give you faith. Most of us would choose the gold. Lord, I'll work on faith later, but I need me some gold. 
Because faith ain't paying my bills. I need me some gold. My bill collectors call me. I can't say, I got faith. <laughs> See, faith pleases God, but it doesn't please the world. Your bill collector could care less if you got faith. Don't try to use faith to please the world. It pleases God, not the world. The only thing that pleases the world is money. And the problem is, we want money. The fact that we want money so badly means that we are more interested in pleasing the world than in pleasing God. Ezekiel said, it was way steep. And then I went another thousand cubits. And all of a sudden, I lost my footing. You ever walked in a swimming pool and tried to walk to the deep end? You know, at first the water's up to your waist, and then it's coming up to your chest, and then it gets to your neck. And, you know, when it starts rising up your neck, and you start standing on your tippy toes, and it's coming up to your chin, it's right under your lip. You know, when it gets to that place where it's about to break the top of your lip, if I take one more teeny tiny step, I'm either swimming or I'm drowning. You come to that place where God almost takes complete control of your life. And you know if you take one more step, it's over. You belong to God. Oh, I know we all say we belong to God, but the fact is we don't. We still lay claim to the right to rule our own lives. We say my life is not my own, but yet we make every decision for ourselves. And anything the Lord asks us to do, we wrestle with it. And so often, God never even asks the average believer to do anything because he knows you're going to say no and he doesn't want to have to judge you for it later. Come on. When God knows you're going to walk in disobedience, he refrains from asking you to do anything out of his mercy. Amen. Amen. God, how come you never asked me for nothing? Oh, I'm being merciful to you. <laughs> do you really want to go into the depths of God? Because if you're going to go into the depths of God, you're going to lose yourself there. And there's no better place to be than in the place where you can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the body, I live by gold. I mean by faith. Because, see, we think we need faith for the spirit, but gold for the body. Paul says, even my physical life, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. God wants to take you into the depths. But in order to go into the depths, you've got to be willing to leave yourself behind. You get on your knees to pray. What do you pray about? Me, myself, and I. What I need and what I want. God wants to take us to the place of captivation where our vision of Jesus becomes so intense that we forget about ourselves. 
where we see him so clearly that I almost forgot that I was in the room. His presence becomes so intense that I didn't even realize that I was in his presence. All I saw was his presence. I didn't see the I. I just saw the you. I forgot about me. It's just about Jesus. That place of complete captivation where we, be, we go beyond the veil of this flesh. And suddenly we begin to see as God sees. Suddenly we can walk through affliction and say it's, it's a light affliction. And it's only for a moment. And it's working for me. And exceeding an eternal weight of glory. We can walk through abandonment and say, yeah, but nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. You know why? Because our minds are not conformed to the pattern of this world. But they're transformed. And suddenly we can prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. And suddenly we never see anything at the surface anymore. When everybody's freaking out about who's in the White House and who's not. We're focused on who's on the throne and who's not. And everybody's worried about the sequester and the fiscal cliff. I'm not worried about a fiscal cliff. You know why? Because I've already lost myself in Christ. You can't kill someone who's dead. And the Bible says you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The enemy sticks you. You just take out that sword and say, excuse me, you left. You lost this. I'm going to kill you too late. Already been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Paul said it in Colossians chapter three. He said, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That means if the devil wants to get through to you, he's got to get through Christ. And if he wants to get through Christ, he's got to get through God. You are two layers removed from the enemy. There's God, there's Christ, and then there's you. And nothing can touch you, but that only comes when you die. And we don't experience it because we're still laying claim. I had a vision of myself a couple of days ago. Where God was trying to take a corpse out of my hand. And I looked closely at the corpse and it was me. I was holding on to my own life. But that life was already dead. It had already been put to death in Christ. And what I realized is that God is calling us to a place of renunciation. Renouncing our right to rulership over our own lives. And that is the path to death in Christ and that is the way into deeper revelation of the deep things of God. And that is why death is last. Because it's so much easier to go wider and just start loving more people. And it's so much easier to go longer and just get some patience. And it's so much easier to go higher and just start rejoicing in Jesus. And he takes us through all three of those things before he starts taking us down into the depths. Because to go into the depths now... He's going to call us to lose our lives. But Jesus said, he who loses his life for my sake, he's going to find it. Let's pray. Father, I speak your blessing over this gathering today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Lord, there's many of us here today that are longing to go to a deeper place in you. We want to stop possessing our own lives, but we don't know how. Hebrews 9.14 says that through the eternal spirit, you offered yourself unblemished to God. And God, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would teach us through the power of the eternal spirit to offer ourselves unblemished. We're so afraid of what you're going to take from us. But we don't realize that what you give us is so much greater than what you take and that the only things you take from us are things that are like cancer that will kill us. We're so afraid of losing things for Christ's sake and that simply means that we have not properly evaluated the kingdom of God. It's like a man who found treasure in a field and when he found it in his joy, he went out and sold all he had and came back and bought that field. In his joy... Lord, so often we lose things for the kingdom out of pain and not out of joy. But it's because we can't see what's beneath the surface of this world. The world is passing away and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. God, I pray that you would take us to a deeper place of revelation and understanding where we begin to see that there's nothing in this world that we desire apart from you, where we begin to say with David, whom have I in heaven but you? Who is there on earth I desire apart from you? My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. I pray that you would take us to the place where we can properly evaluate the components of our lives. Show us the things that are worthless. The things that are dead, but yet we cling to them. The things that are worthless, but yet we, we cling to them as if they are our life. And take us to that place of complete release in you. Lord, you desire to take us into the depths, but we're clinging to the shallow waters. We're clutching the side of the pool and saying, no, I'm not going into the deep waters. I don't know how to swim. And Lord, you're saying, I don't need you to know how to swim. I'm going to take you there and I'm, I'm going to carry you there. Holy Spirit, come right now and fall on every heart and every mind. Fall on every heart and every mind. I know this word is hitting many of you here today. Just make a decision right now. Whatever it is that you're renouncing, God is calling us to renounce our right to rulership over our own lives. Renounce your right to rulership. God, my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I will glorify God in my body. Come on, just make that decision right now. Begin to say it. Begin to say it with your mouth. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I will glorify God with my physical body. My life is not my own. I renounce the right to rulership over my own life. I renounce it. I will go where you send me. I will go where you lead me. I'll do what you tell me to do. I don't care if I like it or not. It's not about what I like. Not my will, but yours be done. Open our eyes today, Father, and cause us to see what's beneath the surface. We're looking at things on a surfacey level. All we see is the surface where our needs reside and our wants reside and our desires reside and our hurts and our pains reside. But God, you're taking us deeper than that. 
You took Joseph into the depths when he was able to say to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He was able to see God working underneath the deepest tragedy of his life. God meant it for good. God had good. Take us into the depths where we can say with Paul that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. Open our eyes. Release revelation. Unveil. Unveil. The secret things, things that eyes have not seen, that ears have not heard, that minds have not conceived. The things that God has revealed to us by His Spirit. Lord, You are revealing those deep things, but we got to stop looking at surface things. Lord, You said of, 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 of Moses that he persevered seeing Him who was invisible. Open our eyes that we would begin to see Him who is invisible. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Come on, just talk to Him right now. Just talk to Him for a few minutes. Just take a few minutes to respond. However, the Spirit of God is calling you to respond. Jesus, yes, Lord, giving you all of my heart, giving you all of my life. Just turn it all over to Him. Turn it all over to Him. Some of you may feel the urge to come to the altar. If you do, you can come. Just come kneel before the Lord and give Him everything. Give Him everything. You can do it in your seat. However the Spirit of God is leading you. Just give it all up today. Give it all up today. God, I want to go into the depths, but I know i got to abandon myself. I give myself away. Yeah. Yeah. I give myself away. Yeah, I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Yeah, I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Everybody stand up and lift your hands and begin to sing. Yeah. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. Oh, 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 my life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. Oh, my life is not my own. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself. I give myself to you, and I give myself away, yeah, I give myself away, so you can use me, I give myself away, yeah, I give myself away, so you can use me I give myself away 
give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Yeah. I give myself away so you can use me. Here I am. Here I stand. Lord, my life is in your hands. Lord, I'm longing to see your desires revealed in me. I give myself away, yeah, I give myself away, so you, I give myself, yeah, I give myself away, Jesus, I give myself away, yeah, I give myself away, yeah, I give myself away, I give myself away, so you can use me, and here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to My life is not my own, to you I belong, I give myself, I give myself to you. My life is not my own, to you I belong, I give myself, I give myself to you. Sing it one more time, my life. My life is not Hallelujah.
you are everything today I'm crowning you my king I'm surrendering my everything to you my king giving you everything 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 Giving you everything, giving you everything, giving you everything, giving you everything. Take all of me, take all of me, take all of me, take all of me, take all of me. Take all of me, 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 Lord, giving you everything. Giving you everything, giving you everything, giving you everything, I'm giving you everything, giving you everything, giving you everything, Lord, giving you everything, yeah, giving you everything. We lift our hearts, we lift our hearts, we lift our lives, we 